following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Let's pray again this morning. Father, I thank you for this morning the opportunity to come before this group, come before this group that that I so deeply care about and talk to them about how you have been working in my heart over the last number of years through this passage. And I pray this morning that, that we would be drawn to who you are and how we can rely in every situation, no matter what it is, and have our contentment in you alone. This world offers so many things that says, yeah, you can be content with this, but in reality, we need Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, I just pray that we would be drawn to you more and more, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in Missouri, a little town called Branson, Missouri. Now, most of you know that our claim to fame is the country music capital of the world. Did anybody know that? Okay, one, two, okay, three, several of you. So basically... If you're a has-been country music star, you will end up at some point in Branson, all right? I grew up there. Um, I loved it. Great place to live. And when I was probably between, somewhere between the ages of 6 and 10, um, I constantly worried about everything. So not only is Branson the country music capital of the world, but we seem to get a lot of tornadoes. It's just outside of Tornado Alley. Anybody live near Tornado Alley at any point? Okay, so it's just outside of that. So we constantly were having tornado warnings. Here it's a little odd, although we did have a tornado, what, several months ago. But sometimes I would sit in the house on a bright, sunny day with maybe one cloud in the sky, and I would worry that we would get struck by a tornado. No lie, that was me. It took some time to walk through that, and actually this passage that we're going to cover today, it's been a huge encouragement to me as I've walked through life, and it's interesting because at one point, I see our meteorologist back there, Dave, you're not worried about tornadoes, are you? All right, if you have any questions about tornadoes, see Dave, he's our meteorologist here. So it's interesting how, although I don't worry about tornadoes, it's funny how as life shifts and responsibilities come. Our worries are in different avenues. Would you agree? We worry about a lot. This morning, the main point I want you to get is don't worry even about the things that are necessary. Don't worry even about the things that we see as necessities. Um, One thing I want to do, it's a little bit different than we would typically do. I want to elicit some responses. Okay, I'm looking for maybe five or ten. If you guys are completely quiet, it's going to be really interesting, okay? It's a pretty basic question. What are some things that we worry about? We, I'm shooting for five or ten. Throw some things out. What do we worry about? Money, Money children. What else? Future. Good. What else? Relationships. Good. What else? Safety. Jobs. Health. What else? Cockroaches. <laughs> maybe spiders, maybe cockroaches. I see you over there, Stephanie. All right. We worry about a lot, don't we? There's a lot of things that come up in our lives that are a little bit disconcerting and can be a bit contentious as well. So this morning, we're going to talk through a specific problem with worry. 
So in theory, we understand we shouldn't worry. I think we all get that. We shouldn't do it. Um, but as I was walking through this, I needed to ask the question, why? Now, I've got a bunch of kids. Obviously, I've got lots of cool bracelets on this morning. Um, and they like to ask the why question. Why, Daddy, do we have to take a shower? Why does Eli smell funny, Daddy? Why? And the list goes on. And some of you might be experiencing that as well. Most, a lot of us are in a similar stage of life. That's what I want to ask this morning, but I don't want to ask specific to some of those questions. Although those are very important to them, I want to ask us the question so that by the time we're done that we can answer, why is it wrong to worry? And we're going to walk through four reasons why worry is wrong. First of all, we're going to talk about the fact that worry shows our unfaithfulness to our master, who is Jesus. Secondly, worry is unnecessary because we have a father that deeply loves us. Third, worry doesn't make sense because of our belief. And then fourth, worry is foolish because of our hope for the future, our true hope for the future. That's what we're going to walk through this morning. So I think as I approach many days, whenever I begin to worry about something, I just tell myself, Isaac, Stop it. Stop worrying. But for whatever reason, that doesn't always do the trick. Well, let's talk about worry shows our unfaithfulness to our master who is Jesus. Now, context with this piece of it is really important. So if you don't know what context is, basically, say you have a word in a passage of scripture and you need to understand why does that word fit there? So you look at the verse and then you need to say, well, Let's look at the context even further. So you look in the chapter. How does it fit into the chapter? And then you'll look into, well, let's look how it fits into the book as a whole. And then you look at how does it fit into the larger story of Scripture. That's context. All right, so let's take a look first at verses 25, verse 25 of chapter 6. And it says, I'm going to stop on the first word, therefore. Anytime you see that, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore? All right? So in this, we need to say, for this reason, here's what we're going to be talking about. And that refers to the previous verse. So if you look at 24, that's going to answer our question for us. So it said, therefore I tell you, in verse sorry, 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Okay? So if you look in verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, what does it say? God or what? And money. You can't, you can't serve both. So as a Christian, who are we serving? Christ, right? We serve Jesus. We serve King Jesus. For the Christian, worry is forbidden. So basically, the author is saying, stop it and never do it again. It's easier said than done, I know, but that's what he's telling us. We have a heavy focus, don't we, these days on, and even looking back whenever Jesus was talking to them on food, clothes, and these are the things that constantly distract us from pursuing heavenly treasures. In our house, there seem to be two main things that our kids struggle with on a daily basis. One, not getting snacks when they think they 
need them or deserve them, and two, having a bad attitude. Typically, the two are hand in hand. They have a bad attitude because they're not getting the snacks when they think that they deserve it. Are we any different when we get hangry? Anybody? I looked, actually looked up the word hangry, if you're not familiar with that in Webster. And here's what it means. Um, hangry is when you're hungry, and because you're so hungry, you get angry, and the joining of the two words, hungry and angry, is hangry. We get that way, don't we? When we're at work, and we miss lunch by 15 minutes, and we're looking for our lunchbox or looking to go somewhere to eat, and we get that deep in us. We need that food. That's going to keep us going. Anybody ever felt that way? Is that just me? It's not, I don't think. No, okay, good. All right, I feel much better about that. I'm reminded that I have so much food. Has anybody read the book Radical? Anybody ever read the book Radical? It talks a lot about Christians who are suffering, Suffering so many things, whether lack of food, most of it is persecution. It's a good reminder for us of the provision that we have in Jesus. Whenever I'm missing my meal, all I can think about is when am I going to get that meal next? When I'm at work, I'll text Annika on a regular basis, babe, what's for dinner? Because that's in my head, and I tend to dwell on that, and I worship? Do I worship that? We'll talk more about that as we continue on. Let me, let me also talk through this with you. What is worry? Worry is sin. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and the providence of God. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's pivotal that we get this. Worry is distrusting the promise and the providence of of God, and yet it's a sin that Christians co- commit, perhaps on a daily basis. I know I find myself guilty of that. The very root of this word it means to strangle or to choke. If you've ever driven on the highway on 64 heading towards Richmond, and you look in the median, do you see where the kudzu? Anybody know? Anybody from Georgia? There's kudzu. All right, so kudzu is this viney thing that grows up the tree and it constricts and it strangulates. Strangulates? Is that a word? I don't know. It strangles everything that's underneath that. And in a similar fashion, that's exactly what worry does. Worry is very constricting. It eats at you. You have this knot inside of you that, for whatever reason, just doesn't seem to go away. One author said this, he said, Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which if encouraged will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained out. It kind of cuts right through you and that's all you can think about, that's all you can dwell on. So what is our response? Okay, so Isaac, you've told us a lot of bad things about worry and the struggle there. So what should our response be? Especially since you already told us, well, just saying just stop it is kind of hard. So what should we do? What should it be replaced with? Because it needs to be replaced with something. Just like if you're an angry person and you say, I'm going to stop being angry, that doesn't do anything. It needs to be replaced with patience. In a similar way, worry should be replaced with contentment. This 
should be the normal state of the Christian, being content. And Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13, and it says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. Oh, we talked about this. And hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is content, and he is resting in the accomplished work of Jesus. We find our contentment in him, and only him. Because as we look, and we're going to talk more about it shortly, as we look in other places to find our contentment, it will come up wanting. Jesus is completely sufficient for all of our needs, even those things that we see as necessities. We have sufficiency completely and wholly in Jesus. All right, so number two. Worry is not necessary because we have a Father that loves us. Now, we're going to look at three main categories in the next several verses. So in verses 26 through 30, I'm going to read it again. 26 through 30, broken up into three categories. Food, longevity, and clothing. So listen in. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you this, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The first category here that the author speaks about is food and worry about food. What I want to do with this is just give us a quick reminder we are, if you look at Genesis, we are the crown of God's creation. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? When he created us, he did something that he didn't do with any of the animals, none of the plants. He breathed himself into us. He breathed life into us. We have a soul. That is so exciting to understand that we are his crown. God made us in his image no bird has ever been promised to be with Christ for all eternity or to be an heir. We have been promised as sons, as daughters. No bird has a place in heaven, as much as movies might suggest. How do we so easily doubt the goodness of God? This is something a while ago. I had a conversation with Chris and Kristen. And one of the things that was so encouraging whenever Annika and I were faced with a difficult time, she reminded us, she said, Isaac, God is no less good because you're not getting what you want. We have a good God. We have a God that knows exactly what we need, 
when we need it, and the time that that's going to take place. I hope that's encouraging for you because just in talking with her, that's been resonating in my head even as I've been working through this, that God is good. We have a good, we have a loving, we have a just, we have a righteous God that we can depend on completely and utterly in every situation. A basic reading of this text as you look at it It shows us that we have no reason to worry because God is our heavenly father. And if he's feeding the very birds, if you take a minute to rest, which we don't do often in our current society and culture, just look at what these birds do. Where they find food, how they they survive, how they live on a regular basis. Well, it should be a good reminder for us that He cares for them. How much more does he care for us as he's a heavenly father? Now, I know that school's coming up. How many moms and dads do we have that are sending their kids to school this year? Show of hands. Who's getting ready to send their kids to school? Okay. Some of you, it's the first time. Do you remember the first time either you took your child to school or you went to school yourself? But I'm thinking specifically when you took your child. I remember last, no, two years ago. When did we take Shiloh to school? Two years ago. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. About two years ago, roughly, we took Shiloh to school for the very first time. I don't know what all was going through, and we're getting ready to take Eli. This coming Tuesday, he's going to be going to school first time. So when when I was walking up with Shiloh to school, who do you think was more worried about how the day was going to go? Shiloh or me? He was probably worried, I would say, about a couple of things. One, he's not going to be with mom. And two, what's in his lunch? Remember we talked about that earlier? Those are probably the major things, but with mom and dads, we think about so many other things. I hope they meet some nice kids. I hope his teacher doesn't yell. I hope, and then we tend to worry about those things. We're their parents. We should be worrying, shouldn't we? Well, I think contentment and being content Now, obviously, as parents, we have responsibility for our children to care, to make sure we're taking care of them and and certainly being concerned with safety and things like that. But I think frequently it moves beyond that, the provision, being able to provide for them and take care of them into that of worry and just being in a constant state of, oh, man, I don't trust God because I think that I'm in control and can take care of the situation. We have a heavenly father and we should be reminded even in a little situation like that, we have a father that we can turn to and we can say, Abba, Father, I need you. I need you today. I need you right now. I need your encouragement and help. So worry about food. That's verse 26. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? It's pretty clear if you watch TV or talk to different people that a big push, whether it's infomercials or whatever it might be, is to increase your life, how much longer you will live. Now, don't get me wrong, living healthy and eating healthy is extremely important because we can, obviously, through how we eat, um, and be, we, we can even be wise when we eat, I hope that 
that you're with me. Now, I am from Missouri. We eat a lot of fried food. So moving out here, I've learned to enjoy and appreciate baked things and fish. Um, so we can control the quality and even the productivity of our lives, but they will not force God into extending our span of life. I think Stacy talked several weeks ago about that very topic, that when God wants to call you home or call me home, he has a specific time for that, doesn't he? And I think this is a good reminder for us as Jesus is out and he's talking to his disciples, he's reminding them of this, not to be anxious, not to be worried about this. In fact, I was, as I was studying through this, I read a quote by Dr. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic, and he said this about worry. Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who have died of worry. It's a good reminder, even from just a physical, and some of you that are either physicians or work in that field, there's a lot of things physically and emotionally, aren't there, that result because of worry. It's a good reminder. Worry about clothing, and that's verses 28 through 30. And it says this, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more <coughs> clothe, you, clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's what I picture. As Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and the, and the masses as well, what I see is Jesus standing in a field talking to them. He's looking at his surroundings. He's looking at nature. And this is a big part of how these concepts are coming about, whether he's maybe looking at the birds or, you know, in this scenario, he's looking at the flowers and just thinking about the intricacies. If you clearly examine a flower and how it's made up with the specific mathematical, talking to Jessica, she'll explain the mathematical designs within flowers or whatever it might be within nature, we're reminded that God is so good to us. We're reminded that as Jesus is teaching, he's using nature, that which he created, to make this very important point. We should be astounded as we look at creation. To be anxious even about things that we need to survive. Because these things, all the things that we've talked about, are needed for us to be able to survive what does Jesus say? He says it's sinful and shows little faith whenever we're anxious about those things because we're not trusting and we're leaning, not leaning on what has been accomplished for us. Number three, worry doesn't make sense because of our belief. The next passage says this, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Worry is inconsistent with our faith in Jesus, and is therefore unreasonable as well as sinful. 
Worry is a direct characteristic of unbelief. I'm going to say that sentence again. This is the second sentence that I want to repeat to make sure that we really get. Worry is inconsistent with our faith in Jesus and is therefore unreasonable as well as sinful. Worry is a direct characteristic of unbelief. When we worry, we are not believing what Jesus said in his word. And that's sin. So looking at the passage we were, just, uh, we were just reading, the author is reminding us, so he said, therefore, he says, remember what I just told you. He's repeating it again. He just told us, he just talked about eating, longevity, clothing. So he, he repeats most of those here when he says, what shall you eat? What shall you drink? What shall you wear? He's reminding you, hey, I just talked about it. Stop worrying about those things that are necessities for you. And then he talks about Gentiles who seek after things now, when he references this, obviously we know, what is a Gentile? Anybody? Is a non-Jew. Good. A Gentile is a non-Jew. Um, that is, to Gentiles and by extension to unbelievers or pagans, those who have no hope in the gospel will naturally put their hope and expectation in the things that can be enjoyed and worshipped. Because there are many out there who worship so many different things. Football season's coming up. You're about to see what many worship. You're about to see where people's identity is and what they really desire, what they want, what they crave. You see that, and it's not just football. It's many other things that people, maybe it's money. There are multiple things that we worship. There are multiple things that we place above Jesus that, that are idolatrous, are we as Christians any better? Think about that. I'm going to give you a couple seconds. Think about that. Are we any better most of the time? I would tend to say a lot of times, probably not. Probably not because we, while we don't have necessarily in maybe a gold image sitting somewhere that we're bowing down to, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with worshiping an idol because an idol is multiple things within life that take the place of Jesus. We have an attitude of entitlement so often and a desire to have more and more because we feel that we deserve it. We feel that, oh, I deserve that promotion. I deserve to have that house that I've always wanted. I deserve to have the new iPhone six that's going to be coming out later this month. I deserve those things. Not to say that any of those things are bad because as a Christian or as all, all of us being made in the image of God, we were born with a desire to worship something. That's, that's just in us. It's just what are we worshiping? Because the reality of it, we can do all of these things, enjoy football, buy new phones, buy new houses. We can do all of those things, but our perspective and how we view it should be very much different than how the world views those things in that we should be doing them as a means to worship God. Because unbelievers, that's their hope. And you know what? There's reason for them to worry because they don't have the hope that we do in Jesus. A hope in what has already been accomplished for us on the cross. They don't have that. Remember we talked earlier about having that heavenly father 
Abba Father that, that we can run to, that we can cling to, those that have yet to cr- trust Christ don't have that hope in a heavenly Father that loves them. When we as believers think and act like the world, we begin to worry just like they do. We begin to worry just like an unbeliever and contentment falls somewhere along the way. It's on the side of the road or wherever it might be and we fail to have that contentment in Jesus. A Christian who is trusting in the accomplished work of Christ is anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication is letting their request be made known to God. So that's another piece of it. We need to be lifting those requests to God as we have things that approach us, that, that press us, because sometimes we feel pressed, don't we? We feel pressed by our circumstances and situations where it's just strangling us. But we have hope. We have something that the world does not have. We have Jesus, and we can run to him, and we can cling to him as our heavenly father. So in this series of rebukes that Jesus is, is giving here, about the importance of not worrying, he also throws in a positive command. If you notice with me, a positive command as well as an amazing promise. But seek first, bless you, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So if you look at the very first portion of that verse, but seek first the kingdom. This is a priority. And this is something Stacy's been talking about for the last, how long have we been in Mark? Anybody know? A while? He's been talking about the kingdom. And as we think about the kingdom, this is what should be a priority. This should be the priority for us. We should be seeking first the kingdom of God. And then in his righteousness, this is, this is what we should be hungering and thirsting for. And I know personally, so often I do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. I hunger and thirst for the things that I need and the things that I want, but not Jesus. What a good reminder. For as the cause of worry is seeking the things of this world, and the cause of contentment is seeking the things of God's kingdom and his righteousness. Whenever we seek those things, whenever we seek the things of God, kingdom, righteousness, that's where we can find our contentment. And that's, as we teach our kids and as we, as we impact our coworkers and our friends with the gospel, which we should be doing on a regular basis, that's something that certainly will be impactful because everybody struggles with it. There's not one person in this room that does not, at one point or another, Some of us might be on a daily basis struggling with worry and how to respond to it. As we think about the kingdom, there's several things that I know Stacy has covered that are important. It's guaranteed success despite persecution. And it is of God. God is the one who does the work. If you just try and try and try, just like everything else, if you do it on your own, what are you going to do regularly? Fail fall, fall down by trusting in what Jesus has accomplished and recognizing that he is going to do the work as a loving, faithful father in our hearts to give us that contentment that we need. That's where we can find true contentment. Fourthly, worry is foolish because of our hope in the future. 
All right, so in this passage, or in this verse, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Making provisions for tomorrow, that's a sensible thing to do. God has given us wisdom and the ability to think. But being anxious for tomorrow is foolish and it's unfaithful. I know a struggle that I can have is that I, if I cannot find anything in the present to worry about, guess what I begin to do? If today's good, hey, Labor Day weekend, it's going to be great. I'm going to go home. I'm going to roast some chicken. It's going to be great. Not fry it, but I'm going to roast it on the grill. It's going to be great. But then I'm starting to, man, then I got to go back to work next week. Oh, and then I begin to think about those things. And what do I begin to do? Worry. I begin to think about it and dwell about it. It becomes all of the things that we just talked about. So I begin looking to the future. And what does Jesus tell us not to do? What does he say? What's it, what about tomorrow? Tomorrow, worry about itself. Stop it. Stop worrying about it. I'm so thankful for the reassurance of Jesus when he says, tomorrow will take care of itself. And how will tomorrow take care of itself? Did God just create everything and just let it go, wind it up, it's going to be fine? No. He has a plan for everything, every specific day. In your life, in mine, we just need to be reminded of that sometimes. It's having the conviction that God knows tomorrow and that nothing is outside of his control. Each day has enough troubles of its own. It's not a call to worry about that trouble, but to concentrate on meeting the temptations, the trials, the struggles we have today and relying on our Father to protect and to provide as we have need because that's where our provision ultimately rests. It's in him. And we can have confidence in the promise that we've just read about today and walked through that God has made to us as his children. He doesn't give us the grace for tomorrow, but the grace that he gives us is just the amount that we need every time. He's going to give us just the right amount of grace that we need to deal with whatever situation or circumstance that that might be. As you think about some of the things that you struggle with that we talked about a little bit early or ago, um, what I want you to do is I want, I want you to really take a minute, and what I'm going to do after we finish up, I'm going to give you a chance just to really pray through this and pray that those worries and those concerns that are on your heart, that you would allow the Spirit to work in your heart, allow the Spirit to work in your life, and that you would really trust in what He has accomplished for us. We walk every day or many days with burdens on our back. Do you feel that way? You, sometimes you just have a burden that just you can't seem to shake. It just seems to stay there. We were sitting in the car the other day, and I was so frustrated about something. And my kids saw how I reacted in the wrong way towards someone. And, and I told them, I said, you know, there's a lot going on for Daddy. He just had a lot of things to work through and to think about, and it's just a lot. And Shiloh said, well, Dad, what are you going to do? What's the right thing to do, Dad? Oh, boy, listen to this kid. All right, what's the right thing to do, Dad? And uh, 
So I told him, I said, Shiloh, you know what? Daddy has this burden on his back and it's just hanging on. But Jesus reminds us to cast our burdens on him because he cares for us. And what an encouragement to be able to teach my kids. And then later, that same day, Shiloh had a huge struggle. And I was able to say, Shiloh, do you remember whenever daddy just talked to you about this burden that was on his back? What did I say is the right response? You know, you asked me, what's the right response there in light of the gospel? Well, Shiloh, what's the right response for you whenever you're faced with this struggle and this hard time that you're going through? Well, daddy, I need to give it to Jesus. I need to take that burden. He's gonna take it from me because that was all accomplished on the cross. Absolutely. The child was able to explain to me the right thing to do. That's what I want you to to encourage you with. So in closing, I'm going to pray. And and I want us just to take three or four minutes. It might be awkward silence, but I'm kind of okay with that. Because I think we just need to allow these burdens, allow the Spirit to work in our heart and to take those from us.